We return to this morning to the opening text of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Last time we were together, we covered one verse. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We took note of those two great men, David and Abraham, and the significance of how Matthew opens his gospel, his good news account of Christ, by showing that connection and link to King David and Abraham. Of course, in history, Abraham comes far before King David, but David is mentioned first in this genealogy because the point of Matthew is to print Jesus Christ as the king or the Christ, the Messiah of the Jewish people. Verse 2, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Thamar. And Phares begat Estram, and Estram begat Aram, and Aram begat Abinadab, and Abinadab begat Neason, and Neason begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rachab, or Rahab if you prefer. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Roboam, and Roboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Azias, and Azias begat Joatham, and Joatham begat Achas, and Achas begat Ezekias. And Ezekias begot Manassas, and Manassas begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josias. And Josias begot Jeconias and, Je and his brethren, about the time that they were carried away to Babylon. We call that the exile. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begot Salathiel, and Salathiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiud, and Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, and Azor begat Zadok, and Zadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Elihud, and Elihud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Matin, and Matin begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary of whom was born Jesus, who is called, asserted to be, Christos, Messiah, Jewish king. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Father, we're thankful to return to this text. It's a hard text to read. It makes us long for people with simple names that uh, would be easier to digest in a hurry. But nonetheless, we pray that as we labor over the text, knowing that the Spirit of God gave it for our benefit, that you would open our eyes to it and see something of the genius of heaven that flows through Matthew's pen, first to the Jewish people and then to us all, in the presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it is a marvel, it is an amazing thing that here in this place, some 2,000 years after the fact of his first advent living, that we meet together in the name 
of Jesus the Messiah, King of the Jews, our glorious Savior. Help us today as Christians to be of the thinking variety and to begin to see and glean from this text those things that would be most helpful to us unto the stabilization of our faith, the strengthening of our souls, the equipping of our lives for every good work. We thank you for every person that is here. We ask your blessing upon us this morning in his study. And for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. The man's resume conveniently left out the fact that he was a convicted felon. Had the employer known that the man had served time for grand larceny, the employer might not have hired the guy to keep the books of his business. The guy actually turned out to be a capable and honest dealing bookkeeper. But still, we would say that the employer had a right to know the truth before laying his books in the hands of a convicted felon. We all understand it when somebody pads or edits their resume or their story of genealogy in a favorable way so as to secure desirable results. I grew up with a story that Teal was connected to Tell and a guy named William who was an excellent shot. That said, I would not recommend you allowing this pastor to shoot an apple off your head. I don't think that story's true, but it sure was neat to hear my grandfather tell it. Uh, that kind of padding, that kind of tweaking, uh, that kind of resume building, that kind of genealogy uh, uh, projection, uh, it isn't right. Uh, but it is understandable. Of course, today it is also highly unlikely, I should say it is highly likely, that it would backfire. Because of the internet, it provides information about people and exposes them, oftentimes wart and all. Of course, then you have to think about whether what's out there is actually true, because there's an awful lot of error all around. As the chief human resource officer and manager over a multi-state business, my son, has access to all kinds of court documents and privately held information uh, as a safeguard to wise hiring. And in this particular day, with what we see, generally speaking, in society, <laughs> we can all appreciate why you'd want to be wise in hiring. Unlike the natural propensity to hide things, that could be taken in a disfavorable way. Matthew's presentation of genealogy leading us to the truth of Jesus as the Christ emphasizes things some Jewish people of the first century would have viewed very, very negatively. It is quite clear upon study that Matthew's genealogical presentation here is carefully edited. But it's not carefully edited in the way we might suspect, so as to pad or embellish 
or somehow to cast in a favorable light necessarily. The editing brings to us two oddities, right to the surface. Once you remember that this is the genealogical presentation of king to king to king to king to king, leading up to the presentation of King Jesus by way of royal lineage. One oddity is the prominence of four women leading up to the mention of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in verse 16. Verse 16 is one of the most theologically nuanced verses in all the Bible because of what it says and because of what it doesn't say. 16, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom, Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. What does it say? It says that uh, the Lord Jesus uh, 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 came from Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. It doesn't say that Joseph was the dad. It specifically says that Jesus is of the woman, that he is of Mary. And that is so significant in light of the very first promise in all the Bible of salvation through the woman's seed. When we all know that women don't have seed, biologically speaking. And so verse 16 connects us to the very first promise of the Bible. It connects us to the grand thread line of the presentation of the man of God's own choosing, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ. That first attity is the prominence of four women leading up to the mention of Mary as the mother of Jesus. The other oddity is the skeletons in the closets of those four women. This genealogical presentation of King Jesus is weird in that it mentions or includes four women and not only mentions them and includes them, but includes the women and their warts. So if you had to look for an oddity concerning this genealogical presentation that leads up to Jesus being the Christ, the king of the Jews, you'd have to say, well, it's a genealogy by women and warts. And I like women, but not warts. But nonetheless, there's no attempt whatsoever to cover up with cover girl, nor to hide the infested blemishes of the historical past. It's just out there. Blemishless Jesus is presented to us with unusual reference to four blemished women. The sinless, spotless Son of God is brought to our attention by pagan women, perverted women, and adulterous women. The question is, why would Matthew do that. Okay, you don't want to pad your resume, but you don't have to tell everything you know. Why would Matthew do genealogy this way? Two reasons. Number one, the Holy Spirit drove Matthew's pen 
to do so this way. Number two, Matthew wrote this genealogy this way because this is the way the Lord Jesus represented himself to the apostles when on the earth. The Lord is to be known as the friend of sinners. And there's all kinds of them, even in his genealogy. Matthew's edited way of presenting the lineage of the Lord Jesus with women in warts helps us to tell the whole truth of the Jewish Messiah. We get to tell the whole truth of the Jewish Messiah in part because of these women and all their warts. This morning I want to quickly name the four women and mention their life story as we would review it in Scripture. And then we'll press the matter in application with two blessed results of genealogy done this way. Genealogy done this way is not the way that a lot of people would have done it. But it is the way the Spirit of God wanted it done. And it is the way the Son of God wanted it done to the glory of the Father of God, our God, the one God of heaven and earth. We begin with verse 3 and Tamar, or Thamar, as it is recorded in the English text, Matthew 1.3, and Judas begat Pharaohs and Zerah of Thamar, and Pharaohs begat Estram, and Estram begat Aram. The personal promise that had been given to Abraham flowed to and through his son Isaac. You're told that in verse 2. And then from Isaac to and through his son, Jacob. Verse 2 represents the patriarchal period of God's promise of blessing the whole of the world through the man Abraham. Abraham was told he would be blessed. Abraham was told he would become a blessing to all the people of the world. Genesis chapter 12. Before Jacob died... He had 12 sons, and only one of the 12 would be the channel of God's promise in fulfillment. Now, you may have heard me say in the, say in the past, and I'll say again here this morning, that if God would have left the choice to me, I would have picked Joseph. That pure, handsome young man who rose out of the prison in Egypt to become ruler, faithful to God, in every way, a man whose life designation in the scripture is the hand of the Lord was upon him, the hand of the Lord was upon him, the Lord hand of the Lord was upon him, the hand of the Lord was upon him. Boy, that's the kind of guy I'd want to pick to be in the lineage of, of Messiah, the Christ, Christ the King. I'd pick Joseph, having reputation of moral purity and, and the demonstration of leadership capability. I'd have gone for Joseph. But God chose Judah, a man of questionable morality, a man of questionable fidelity. It is the tribe of Judah that will bear the scepter or the kingly rule in Israel 
by and by. Adding insight, insult to this seemingly injurious history in the lineage of Jesus is the fact that Tamar uh, was indeed Judah's daughter-in-law and uh, a Canaanite at that. Yet her twin sons born to her named Phares and Zerah, Perez, as he's called in the Old Testament text, and Zerah, were actually fathered by Judah. And the question is, how did that happen? And the answer of it is, uh, do you really want to know? (laughs) Uh, The sordid story is recorded in Genesis 38. We're not turning there for the sake of time this morning, but here's the brief of it. Tamar, a Canaanite woman, was married to Judah's wicked son, Ur. Ur was a wicked son of Judah. God judged Ur in his generation with quick and decisive physical death. Upon the death of Ur, Judah promised Tamar that when his much younger son was of age, that Tamar could marry him so as to perpetuate her family under Judah. Well, Judah failed to follow through, and so pagan Tamar dressed up as a woman of the night. She dressed up as a prostitute, and she waited for Judah by the roadside to hook up. And he did. Not knowing that this one-night stand was with his daughter-in-law when Tamar's pregnancy became apparent, my guess would be month five or six, Her pregnancy became apparent. Judah was angry. And he was going to have Tamar stoned for her immorality until he found out that he was the father. One of the twin boys, Zerah, is he who, through whom God's uh, uh, promise flowed uh, uh, into the next generation. Fairies begat, I should say, fairies begat Esram, yes. And, uh, and you talk about a blemish. That family ha- history has, uh, has included in it one megazet. And it has to do with the, uh, this unbelievable story. You see, what happens in the Bible is that when you study the Bible from a standpoint of thread lines, you know that God's promise to Adam... Uh, flowed, as it were, uh, to and uh, through uh, his son Abel, and then Seth, and then Noah, and then, uh, and then ultimately, out of Noah, uh, it landed in the aspect of, uh, of Noah's son Shem, and then to Abraham, and then to Judah, and it's real easy to start talking about these names, tripping these names off your lip, and treating these guys like they're Bible heroes, when there is only one hero in the Bible, and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, Judah, uh, he did a few things right, but he did an awful lot of things wrong. And while I can understand Judah and you can understand Judah, 
By no means does he bring to us the warm fuzzies that uh, Joseph would have brought. Why, if, if God would have chose Joseph, we could have been warm fuzzy on Sunday morning all the days of our earthly life. But God did not bring us a warm fuzzy story. Because what's wrong with us will not be cured by warm fuzz. It will require the cross of Christ, the crucifixion for our sins. The story's not pretty. The story's ugly. And so is my soul and your soul apart from God. The Bible's not a book that tells us some fairy tale. It tells us the truth. Tamar, Thamar, as she's called in verse 3, is a blemished woman used to bring the unblemished Jesus to the world. Think of that. Number two, Rahab, verse 5. And Solomon begat Boaz of Rechab, or Rahab, if you will. Many more of you know something of this gal's story. She was a, a working woman of the night. The word is usually translated in the Bible, uh, a woman of ill repute or prostitute, uh, working in Gentile territory, Jericho. But she had heard of Yahweh, and therefore, she respectively received the two Israeli spies that came to her and protected them before the day of conquest. Since Rahab feared the Lord and dealt kindly with the people of God, God spared her life and, ex and spared the life of her extended family when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Amazingly, Matthew tells us that Rahab went on to marry the Jewish man, Solomon. There's not one piece of that information in the Old Testament scriptures. The first time we find out that uh, Rahab ended up marrying Jewish Solomon is right here in Matthew chapter 1. And we find out that Rahab and Solomon uh, were the parents of uh, Boaz, Verse 5. This is, a, is an amazing story of how Rahab became a part of the lineage of God's prince, of God's Christ, of the Jewish Messiah. Rahab, Gentile gal, questionable lifestyle as it relates to morality, and yet she marries in. And as a result of that is in the lineage of he who is perfectly sinless and without stain or blemish, uh, Jesus Christ. And yet, the sinless and stainless and blemishlessness of Christ. Say that about six times. It'll just trip your tongue all over a Sunday morning. But nonetheless, uh, this idea of the purity of Christ is brought to us in a way that emphasizes the impurity of background in regards to this genealogical way. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Well, the answer, the simple answer is you, me, us. 
God presents himself to us in a way that we might come away saying, oh, wow, what a Savior, what a glorious Savior we have in Jesus Christ the Lord. Well, number three is Bill's favorite. We all know that, Ruth. Bill taught the book of Ruth and did a masterful job on it some months, maybe now years ago. Time goes by so quickly. But again in verse 5, Solomon begat Boaz of Rechab or Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse. The Bible book that bears her name tells us of that Moabite gal that loved God and followed her mother-in-law back to Israel after the death of her husband, Malon. Ruth, like Tamar and Rahab, was not Jewish. Yet she is unlike Tamar and Rahab in that, as far as we know, she was morally pure. Such purity was very rare in Moab. The Moabites were a people whose origin goes back to the essentialist relationship of Lot, the relative with Abraham. That story is one of illicit drugs and sex. However, Ruth in Israel, faithful to her Jewish mother-in-law, catches the eye of a Jewish man, Boaz, who is qualified under the law to act as her kinsman redeemer. Their blessed union together in marriage produces Obed, the grandfather of King David. Now, I would remind you that in the spring of this year, we saw how that Job, early on in the biblical record, spoke of the ultimate kinsman redeemer. And yet the whole truth of kinsman redeemer cannot be separated from the moment in biblical history in which it was forever defined. And that would be in the moment that Boaz and Ruth came together in marriage. And Boaz provided for Ruth that which you and I have provided us in Jesus Christ. You cannot ultimately speak of Christ, the kinsman redeemer, the redeemer of his kinsfolk, which kin many of us know ourselves to be. You can't talk about that without referencing the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth and Boaz. What a blessed thing that God has done in weaving together the genealogy of Messiah so that we could see him in all of his glory, in all of his purity, in all of his majesty, and yet coming out of a trek of humanity that is just sin upon sin upon sin and upon sin, except for the grace of God. Aren't you glad that we get to preach, we get to teach, we get to learn about what is possible for us because of the grace of God 
that is all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, then number four, woman number four, verse six, Jesse, Obed begat Jesse. Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Verse 6 doesn't name her, but the description leaves no doubt, Bathsheba. She was one of David's many wives. Most of the time when we talk about David, we talk about David, 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 David. Oh, David, beloved David. And we certainly can talk about him that way, legitimately. But, I mean, he was a sinful king, a sinful man, offering, using the authority and the position that God gave him to serve himself. We certainly wouldn't stand up in this pulpit and talk about the perfections of David. Although he's known in the Bible as a man who had a heart for God, and the reason the Bible says that is because he did repent. He did confess his sin. He was honest about his sin before God. But we don't cherish David because he was such a perfect guy. We cherish David because he points us to the one who is perfect, Jesus Christ. Well, David had many wives. Bathsheba became such only after an adulterous affair which led to the murder of her husband Uriah at the hands of King David. The child born from their adulterous affair died. Remember that? But afterward, Bathsheba gave birth to Solomon, the son of David, who took the throne after David's death. And that did not happen easily, by the way. I mean, there was competing sons for that spot, as you might think. But nonetheless, Solomon, the son of David, took the throne after David's death. And as a result of that, Jesus has a clear legal connection to the promises of Abraham to be a blesser of the whole world and the promises to King David of a son to ever set on the throne of of the Jewish throne and do so in a stunning way. You think about Tamar. You think about Rahab. You think about Ruth. You think about Bathsheba. All being used by the Spirit of God to bring us to Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Christ. And you have to say, that's pretty stunning. And I don't know about you, but it's hard to be bored. You talk about power, you talk about sex, you talk about money, hard to be bored. It kind of has a draw upon all of our minds. Nobody's sleeping this Sunday morning. Why, eyes were wide open the minute I talked about Tamar and dressing up like a hooker. All of a sudden, bing, everybody's wide awake. So this was a sermon at least I knew that nobody would sleep through, but nonetheless, it's important to note how God has done this. This way of genealogy underscores the sinfulness of genealogy leading us to the purity of Jesus Christ. Wow. 
Now, from this reality of, uh, of stunning genealogy, or genealogy done this way, comes two blessed results. And we certainly could say more than two, but there's two that I'd like to camp upon for a few moments this morning, and then we will build upon this in week four, and build upon this in week, or week three and week four. Yes, four weeks given to this genealogical section of Matthew chapter one. I, I want to pat myself on the back just for reading it four times in public, to tell you the truth, but nonetheless, you do understand. Uh, what is the blessed result of genealogy done this way? Uh, this helps us to put something of the amazing back into our understanding of grace. This helps us to put amazing back into right connection to the grace of God. Isaiah tells us that God's ways are not our ways. When I told you that I would have picked Joseph, I tipped my hand concerning that. Why would God pick Judah? Why would God include Tamar? Why would God include Rahab? Why would God include Ruth? Why would God include Bathsheba, leading us to Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Christ? Well, I would just remind you that God often picked uh, the small, the clearly sinful, and the most undeserving to keep his first and foremost promise made to man. I speak of the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. We all know that women have no seed, biologically speaking. Yet God's promise to Adam and Eve was of a deliverer born of a woman, apart from the sin curse upon male seed. And so Paul tells us in Romans 5 that in Adam all men die. And that those in Christ live and live forever. The unusual reference to four women with all their warts brings the seed promise to mind as we hear of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Verse 16. Jesus is brought before us with the lineage record of amazing grace. And we live in a day when that popularistic hymn is sung in so many venues that it's clear that most of the time when sung, there's very little understanding of the grace of God, let alone any comprehension of its amazement. And yet it is amazing that God should care. It is amazing that God should be mindful of you, 
It is amazing that God would provide for us. It is amazing that right out of the, out of the river line of genealogy, right out of the sinful genealogy river, as represented in Matthew chapter 1, would come out one most pure, most holy, most loving, most caring, most shepherding, most believable. Jesus called the Christ. These women with warts, brought to bear in the river of genealogy in order that you might be able to see and become somewhat stunned by the, the blessing and the brightness and the sparkle of Jesus Christ. Just as we've illustrated it for years as the jeweler whips out that big black cloth to lay that little dinky diamond on so that it looks like you're really putting out your hard-earned money for something big, baby, something big. So Matthew lays out the blackness of a river of genealogy down in literary form in order that the diamond of Christ might appear and sparkle once again in our hearts and minds that we might be filled with the fullness of of Jesus Christ. Matthew has written so that we would become overwhelmed with the sinfulness of sin and the emptiness of the creature and the fullness of the Christ. I do believe that that becomes the great thrust of this section of Matthew. I'm going to say in the next hour that that becomes the great thrust of the presentation of of Hebrews as a book to keep before the people of God the sinfulness of sin and the emptiness of creation because of sin and then the fullness of the Savior, the Savior from our sins. The first blessed result of genealogy done this way is to put something of the amazing back into our understanding relative to the grace of God. And then secondly, non-Jewish people, like most of us are, can see as a result of genealogy done this way that God has always planned, quote, that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, end quote, Romans 15, 9. It is simply wonderful to be included. I recall as a young boy wishing (laughs) that I had been born Jewish after hearing my pastor preach on the speciality of God's chosen people. But thank God in Jesus Christ, I know myself to be chosen of God before the foundation of the world. Who knew the potential joys and blessings that could come from women with warts? oftentimes outside the camp, outside the Jewish family, and yet included. Who knew? Well, the Lord knew. 
And the way in which genealogy is done by Matthew in Matthew chapter 1 is the way in which the Spirit of God drove him uh, to write it down. And it is the way in which Matthew himself, with his own human ears, had heard the Lord Jesus represent himself. Jesus presents to us his resume, not in a way to distance himself from sin or sinners, but in such a way to convince us that he is indeed the sinner's greatest friend. The Lord Jesus has made sure that Matthew told us of genealogy done this way. Father, thank you this morning for a glorious opportunity to think about Christ and the way in which he is presented to us in the scriptures. And may our hearts and minds leap to understand and embrace and ultimately our hearts to be filled with gratitude and receptivity concerning Jesus, who indeed is the Christ, God the Son, the Savior of the world. Thank you that by believing on his holy and blessed name, we can have life and that eternal. Thank you for those that have expressed their faith in Jesus Christ this morning and join us in this hour to lift heart in worship and gratitude towards thee. And Lord, this morning, please work in the dear heart of that man or that woman that knows not Christ, that today might be their day of salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.